So Ezekiel chapter 36, you have your outlines ready. I'm going to jump right in today. Um, we are taking a few weeks to, to talk about Bible prophecy. You know, one-third of the Bible deals with prophecy. And I'm going to share some things today that although I grew up in the church and uh, I went to seminary, went to Christian college, I never knew this stuff. It wasn't until after that that somebody showed me some of these things. And uh, it was life-changing for me. So last week we began by talking about what makes Christianity and the Bible so unique. And what makes it so unique is that God says, I will tell you hundreds and thousands of years ahead of time what's going to take place. And when it happens, it's going to happen with 100% accuracy. And when it happens, you're going to say, it can only be God. God says, here's the test there on your outline. He says in Isaiah 46, he says, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient times, the things which have not been done. When you study comparative religions, uh, you very quickly come to the, the conclusion that there is no other book of faith or faith on the planet that is based upon uh, God saying, this is what's going to happen, and it happens. Only Christianity, only the Bible, and it's all through. And God says, that's the test. You'll know that, that this is true, and, and the others aren't. They can't be like God. They can't be like God. If you want to track some of this down, we can only talk of, about a few things kind of in broad, broad strokes. But if you want to pursue this a little bit further, there are three books that I would strongly recommend if you're going to read on prophecy. They're by a guy named Bill Salus, S-A-L-U-S. And uh, the first book is called The Now Prophecies, and it goes through the Bible, and it just says, here's what's happening around the world, and here's what the Bible says. The next one is called The Next Prophecies, and this deals with what happens when the church is removed in uh, the future. And then there's another book called Psalm 83, which is absolutely fascinating. I just, I love his writing. It's very readable, and so good, good stuff. But we began looking last week at the prophecies concerning Jesus' first appearing, and uh, we, we talked about those and why those are significant and why it becomes impossible to conclude that it could be anybody else. But this week, we're going to look at something that the Bible teaches throughout the Bible that the Bible teaches that is the trigger for what you and I would call the last generation, the last days. It will be something that has never happened before in the history of the world. It's something that the entire world will see take place. It's something that's going to be before us on a daily basis, especially if you watch the news. And it's something that the entire world is dealing with in the sense that they're trying to come up with a solution for. It's going to be something that God says, I'm the one who has done this and no one can undo it. And so it's going to be something that's so glaringly obvious in the Bible, and yet even though it's glaringly obvious in the Bible, it's going to be missed by many people who attend church, and it's also going to be missed by, missed by many of the world church leaders, you might say. So the sign of the last days, the, the sign that begins that last generation, which is most missed, will be that Israel which existed up till 70 AD, will cease to exist as a nation, but in the last generation will become a nation again. It's the only nation in the history of the world where this has taken place. So 
uh, Israel became a nation again in 1948, and you're all familiar with the story, but Isaiah, there on your outline, talked about it this way. He said, there in your outline, then it will happen on that day that the Lord will again, I've underlined that word again, recover the second time with his hand. God is doing it, second time. The remnant of his people who will remain. So God's going to re- recover. We'll see he's going to recover them back into their homeland. But it will be only those who remain, uh, and it will be just a remnant, just a remnant. So if Israel became a nation in 1948, what happened just before that, that there would only be a remnant, and it would say, of those who remain? What was the event that took place? The Holocaust, the Holocaust. So the remnant of those who will remain, and he will bring them from Assyria, Egypt, Pathros, Cush, Elam, Shinar, which is modern-day Iraq, Hamath, and from the islands of the sea. In ancient Hebrew, they did not have a word for other continents, so they just said islands across the sea, that which is across the sea. And he will lift up a standard for the nations and will assemble the banished ones of Israel, and I've underlined that, and will gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. So God said 800 BC that there will come a time when I will bring Israel the second time into its homeland, but this time I will, I will bring it back from the four corners of the earth. Israel had not been removed from its homeland the first time when God said this. Now the first time is what's called the Babylonian captivity, where uh, we have those great stories of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, where the nation of Israel is carted off literally to Babylon, and God brings them back into their homeland. So when do they, are they taken from their homeland again? Well, they exist as a nation up until 70 A.D., about 40 years after Jesus is raised from the dead. And uh, in, in 70 AD, the Roman general Titus Vespasian surrounds Jerusalem, comes in, wipes out the city, wipes out the temple, destroys much of the nation, and the nation from that day until 1948 ceases to exist as a nation. It's at that point that the people of Israel move out of Israel and they move to literally the four corners of the earth. They go to Europe, they go to Africa, ultimately to the New World. They'll wind up in the United States of America. But 2,000 years later, after not existing as a nation, God says, I will then bring them back into their homeland and they will become a nation again. It's the only nation in world history where this has taken place. So in Matthew's gospel, Matthew will share it like this. You'll recall that the disciples come to Jesus and they ask three questions there in your outline. The disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when will these things happen? What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And uh, Jesus takes two chapters to answer those three questions. Sign of your coming, end of the age. And when will these things happen? So he gives some things that will be just kind of the picture. And he goes further in Matthew 24, and then he comes to the sign of his coming, the end of the age. And he says it like this there in your outline. He says, now learn the parable from the fig tree. In the Bible, the Bible uh, keeps all of the symbols constant. It's called expositional constancy. And so anytime you see a symbol used in the Bible, it always refers to the same thing. So if you see the dove in the Bible, it's always a reference to the Holy Spirit. Uh, The serpent in the Bible is always a reference to Satan. 
And, and so it, it's constant. So when you, you see Israel or the fig tree, it's always a reference to the nation of Israel when it's used as a symbol. And you can look that up in Hosea 9.10. So learn the parable from the fig tree when its branch has already become tender and it puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. That's going to be the next event. So you too, when you see all these things, recognize that he is near right at the door. Now remember he's answering the question, what's the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Right at the door. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So he begins that by saying, now learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. The fig tree is very much like if you live up north and you see the trees and all the leaves fall off and they look very dead. And so after a very long winter, this fig tree looks dead. But at a certain point, this fig tree begins to come back to life. And it begins to bud and put forth its leaves. When you see that, and the fig tree is Israel, know this, that he is near, how near? Standing at the door is the idea. So when you see Israel come back to life, and the only, planet, uh, only, only nation that's ever done this in the history of the world, then you know that he is near. The next event is going to be summer, and he's standing right at the door. Well, interesting, he goes on and he says, truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. He's not speaking about the generation 2,000 years ago. He's speaking about the generation that sees Israel become a nation again. And uh, when that nation becomes, when that happens, then that generation will not pass away until all these things take place. He says, I'm right at the door. And he knows how crazy that would sound to us. So he finishes that little paragraph by saying, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. The idea is what I'm telling you, you can take it to the bank. When you see Israel, after 2,000 years, become a nation again, that will begin the final generation. And this is something that the Bible talks about from cover to cover. We're going to look at Ezekiel chapter 36 and 37 today. We're going to do some reading and uh, hopefully some underlining. And the reason that I want you to underline today is there's some things you just never want to forget, and hopefully it'll make it pop and, and you'll, you know, you'll see some things that you've never seen before. So we're going to look at that. So good so far? Good. I haven't put you to sleep yet, have I? All right. Well, I will. So let's, let's look. Now, before uh, we're going to look at chapters 36 and 37 today, and I'm going to read, we're going to underline. In chapters 38 and 39 are probably the, the two most uh, well-known chapters in Bible prophecy, would be chapter 38 and 39. And in those chapters, it talks about how in the last days, Russia, Turkey, and Iran will come together and they will form a coalition against the nation of Israel. They will attack Israel. Uh, it's not going to work out for them, but uh, we'll, we'll, that'll be a story for another day. But in Ezekiel 38, I put one of the verses there in your outline just to give some perspective as to the timeline. And it says, you will come up against, and I want you to underline, my people Israel, like a cloud to cover the land. It will come about in the last days, and you want to underline that, that I shall bring you against my land. So what we're going to have reiterated in this today is it's going to be last days, my land, nation of Israel. So keep that in mind. 
So in the last days, Israel will be in the land, and then in chapter 39, there's going to be this interesting little verse, and it says, when I bring them back from the peoples and gather them from the lands of their enemies, then I shall be sanctified through them in the sight of the many nations, then they will know that I am the Lord their God because I made them go into exile, that began in 70 AD, among the nations, four corners of the earth, and then gathered them again into their own land. Gathered them into their own land, literally from the four corners of the earth. The Bible says that's going to happen in the end days, the last days, and that began in uh, 1948. So before chapter 38 and 39, you have to have chapters 36 and 37. So I'm going to read, and as we do, we're going to underline some things. One of the other things I I need to say is that um, the Bible is not written to be politically correct. God says this is what's going to happen. So we might read some things over the course of this week and the next couple of weeks that are very politically incorrect. It might be offensive, but we'll just read what the Bible says. Again, hopefully to underline some things, uh, I've written at the top of chapter 36 that God speaks to the land, and you might want to do that. God's going to speak specifically to the land before he speaks to the people. So uh, chapter 36, verse 1, it says, And you, this is Ezekiel 2,500 years ago, says, And you, son of man, prophesy to the mountains of Israel and say, O mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, because the enemy, underline enemy, has, has spoken against you, and here's what they've said, this is what the enemy says, Aha, and the everlasting heights have become our possession. Uh, The enemy, when God wants to bring the nation of Israel back into the land, are going to be surrounding Israel, and they're going to be claiming that the land is actually their possession. And what we're going to see as as we go through this is God is going to be specifically speaking about the Islamic nations that surround Israel who claim that they actually own the land. We'll see that as we go. Verse 3, therefore prophesy and say, thus says the Lord God, for good reason they have made you desolate and crushed you from every side so that you would become a possession of the rest of the nations. And that happened from 70 AD to 1948. And you've been taken up in the talk and whispering of the people. Therefore, O mountains of Israel, speaking to the land, hear the word of the Lord God. Thus says the Lord God to the mountains and to the hills, to the ravines, to the valleys, to the desolate wastes and the forsaken cities, which have become a prey and a derision to the rest of the nations which are round about. Just look at the nations that are round about Israel. Therefore, verse 5, thus says the Lord God, surely in the fire of my jealousy, I have spoken against the rest of the nations. And you want to underline that. Against all Edom, you want to underline Edom, who appropriated my land for themselves as a possession with wholehearted joy and with scorn of soul to drive it out for a prey. When it says Edom, if you go back and you study who the Edomites are and who they became, uh, they simply became what we would know as the Islamic nations that surround Israel today. And it says in in verse 6, it says, uh, verse 5, they appropriated my land for themselves as a possession with wholehearted joy and scorn to drive it out for a prey. They appropriated his land claiming that it belongs to them. 
They even renamed the land of Israel after the, the ancient enemies of Israel, and they called it Palestine. Palestine is the same word as Philistine, Philistine. Uh, it's the same word, it's just a different language. Palestine, Philistine. So they appropriated it and they even renamed it after Israel's ancient enemies. So God responds in verse 6 and he says, Therefore prophesy concerning the land of Israel to the mountains and to the mountains and to the hills, still speaking to the land, to the ravines, to the valleys. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I have spoken in my wrath because you have endured the insults of the nations. Verse 7, he says, Therefore thus says the Lord God, I have sworn. Now I've, I've underlined that. I have asterisks. I have arrows pointing to it. Some of your Bibles will say God has raised his hand. Some will say he's raised his hand and sworn. God is taking an oath here. He's not going to change his mind. I have sworn that surely the nations which are around you themselves will endure insults. So God has taken uh, an oath here that he's going to do something. Verse 8. But you... O mountains of Israel, you will put forth your branches. Sounds a lot like Matthew 24. And you will bear fruit for, and I want you to underline, my people Israel, for they will soon come. And you want to underline that. For behold, I am for you, and I will turn to you, and you will be cultivated and sown. I will multiply men on you, all the house of Israel. Driving home the point, this is about Israel. All of it, the cities will be inhabited and the waste places will be rebuilt. I will multiply on you man and beast and they will increase and be fruitful and I will cause you to be inhabited as you were formerly. Israel inhabited the land 2,000 years ago. God's going to bring them back in the last days and they will, they will uh, inhabit it as formerly. And I will treat you better than at first and you will know that I am the Lord. When I read that and God says, I'm bringing you back in, uh, you're going to be fruitful, men are going to multiply on you, that's not an interpretation. God's just saying, that's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm going to do. And we saw that take place in 1948. Well, verse 12, in case we miss it, he says, yes, I will cause men, and I want you to underline my people Israel, to walk on you, to possess you, so that you will become their inheritance and will never again bereave them of children. So, uh, from God's perspective, as you read this, you, you see that God says, this is my land. It's the nation of Israel. It's his people. And uh, he's now taking a stand against those who appropriated it. for, for uh, pro- <laughs> Took it. Appropriated it. Did, 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 appropriated it uh, for themselves. Sorry about that. Verse 13. I'm going to move on. Thus says the Lord God, because they say to you, you are a devourer of men and have bereaved your nation of children, therefore you will no longer devour men and no longer bereave your nation of children, declares the Lord God. I will not let you hear the insults from the nations anymore, nor will you bear disgrace from the people any longer, nor will you cause your nation to stumble any longer, declares the Lord. Have you noticed that since Israel became a nation in 1948, nobody can beat them, that many times they've been attacked, but nobody can beat them. Have you ever wondered, like, when we talk about Israel, what are we talking about geographically? Let, let me just show you a map here of the Middle East. We put the arrow there so you don't miss it. But you can see Turkey and Syria, Iraq and Saudi Arabia and Egypt and Libya 
and Sudan and, and uh, Iran over there. And uh, you can barely see Israel. Everybody see that? So let me give some perspective as to how small this little piece of property is that nobody can beat. If you were to take a map of Florida and you were to put Israel in Florida, it would literally take up Dade, Broward, and Palm Beach counties. And nobody can beat them. Only God could do that. Something so small and nobody can move them. So God says, this is what I'm doing because I'm doing it. Nobody's going to be able to undo that. So I'm just going to read just a a tiny bit more here uh, and answer the question, why did they go into exile in the first place? Well, verse 16, he says, then the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, when the house of Israel was living in their own land, they defiled it by their ways and deeds. Their way before me was like the uncleanness of a woman in her impurity. The um, English translation is much less graphic than the, we're going to stick with the English here today. Verse 18, therefore I poured out my wrath on them for the blood which they had shed on the land because they had defiled it with their idols. Underline verse 19, I scattered them among the nations and they were dispersed through the lands. They were dispersed through the lands. Well, he says, according to their ways and their deeds, I judged them. Now, when they came to the nations where they went, they profaned my holy name because it was said of them, and I've underlined this part, these people are are the people of the Lord, and yet they have come out of his land. But God says, I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel profaned among the nations where they went. Therefore, verse 22, say to the house of Israel, thus thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act for my holy, but for my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you went. Read just a little bit further. Verse 23 says, I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned it in their midst. The idea is, is that Israel was supposed to exist in a certain land. Because of some things that they did, uh, God moved them out of their land. Being out of the land itself was profaning. It's actually a much bigger conversation, but that's, that's as far as we're going to go today on that. Verse 23, he says, I will vindicate the holiness of my name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when I prove myself holy among you in their sight. Verse 24, I will take you from the nations, you want to underline this, and gather you from all the lands and bring you into your own land. Um, there is in church life, there is something that's called replacement theology. Replacement theology is held by most of the mainline churches. And it holds that God is done with the Jewish people. He's done with the nation of Israel. And if you've ever read what the church has done to Jewish people through the years, it's because the belief system that God has done with the Jewish people. However, when you read the Bible, you find that God has a very special plan uh, for this particular nation, especially as we see in the end times. And here God is saying, I'm bringing them back into the land because I've promised to do it, and uh, they're going to re-inhabit the land, and it's the only nation in the history of the world where this has happened. Now, the rest of that chapter, he continues to reiterate. So I'm going to skip over that and have you read that later. 
we're going to pick it up in chapter 37, which uh, chapter 36 he speaks to the land, but in chapter 37 he deals with the nation being reborn. And here he says, uh, the hand of Ezekiel speaking, he says, the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. And these are not skeletons, just, just bones. And he caused me to pass among them round about, and behold, there were many, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and they were very dry. And I've underlined they were very dry. So uh, the valley is a vision, so it's not a, a geographical valley. God takes Ezekiel and he, and he shows him this, this valley, and there's all of these bones, and they're just scattered around. They're not even skeletons, just scattered bones. And Ezekiel says they were very dry. The idea is you'd never expect these dry bones to ever come back to life. Well, verse 3, it says, he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, oh Lord God, you know, as if to say, you know, beats me. Again, he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, oh dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these dry bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you that you may come back to life. And I will put sinews on you, that would be the the muscles and the tendons, and make flesh grow back on you, cover you with skin, and put breath in you that you may come alive, and you will know that I am the Lord. So, verse 7, he says, I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bones. And it's at this point that theologians remark, and they say that the leg bone connected to the knee bone, and the knee bone... I don't know why I try. So they came back together, uh, bone to its bone. Verse 8, and I looked, and behold, sinews were on them, and flesh grew, and skin covered them. And then you underline, but there was no breath in them. There was no breath in them. Uh, Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breathe, and and, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they will come to life. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them. And they came to life and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. You might want to underline great army. A couple of things that we see, there's three steps to this coming. They're, they're scattered, they're dried, then they come together, flesh grows on them, and ultimately they come alive. And when they come alive, they are an exceedingly great army. Do you know that that tiny little country of Israel, which is the size of three of our counties, is the eighth most powerful military on the planet right now? The eighth most powerful planet. It's interesting that it says uh, a great army. So God explains this, and he makes sure that we understand that he's not talking about the church. And it says in verse 11, then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. You want to underline that? Behold, they say our bones are dried up and our hope has perished and we are completely cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, 
thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves, underline this, my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. The graves that he's talking about were all the countries that Israel went into. God says, I will bring you back into your land. Then you will know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves and caused you to come up out from your graves, my people. And I will put my spirit in you and you will come to life and I will place you in your own land. You want to underline that. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and have done it, declares the Lord God. So um, have I put you to sleep so far? So God talks about how in the last days he will bring this nation that seemed very much dead and he would bring them back into their nation, a very tiny little nation in the midst of a great Middle East and nobody's going to be able to do anything about it. God says, I'm doing it. No one can undo it. So uh, go down to verse 21. I'm going to go to the, the punchline here. And in verse 21 of chapter 37, he says, Say to them, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will take the sons of Israel from among the nations where they have gone, and I will gather them from every side and bring them into their land. And I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel, one king or leader will be king over them or leader over them for all of them, and they will no longer be two nations and no longer be divided into two kingdoms. Um, I want to just show you a map. It says there will no longer be two kingdoms. When you look at a map of Israel and you're reading through the Old Testament, you'll hear things like, it'll say like the northern kingdom or the southern kingdom or the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah. And you say, well, aren't they all the same? No, after Solomon died, his son becomes king and he makes some horrible decisions and literally the kingdom was split into the northern kingdom or, and the southern kingdom. And, and they, they've been divided up until 1948. When they came back together as a nation, they were no longer two nations, they were just one nation. And God said that's how it would be uh, when they came back into, into the nation. So Israel would come back into the nation in the last days. That would begin, according to the Bible and what's been laid out, the final generation. The world will call Israel and where Israel resides as the occupied territory. God will say, this is my land and this is my people, Israel. God never refers to it as the occupied territory. The world will rename Israel after the ancient enemies of Israel. They will call it Palestine or Philistines. God says, no, it's my land and it's my people. And because God is the one who has brought them into the land, and they are a tiny little country about the size of Dade, Broward, and Palm Beach County, and they are so outnumbered, God says, because I did this, even though the whole world is against them, no one will move them. Now there is going to be some challenges after the church is removed, but right now nobody is going to remove them. This has never happened in the history of the world where a nation existed, ceases to exist, and almost 2,000 years later comes and becomes a nation and uh, literally is the eighth most powerful military on the planet. Now what this means, the next time you see the militaries of the Middle East and they are surrounding Israel and the odds are 100 to 1 against Israel, you immediately call your bookie and you say, I'm betting on Israel and you will make some money. 
I promise. So as a Christian, and sadly some who do not, for whatever reason, look at this, they do not look at prophecy, you never want to stand with the world and call for a two-state solution. Because God says, it's my land, this is what I'm doing, I'm bringing them back in, and that's just how it's going to be. If there ever is a two-state solution in Israel, it will last about 10 minutes, and then it will go back to being a one-state solution. So did you find that interesting today? You and I live in the most fascinating generation that the world has seen since Jesus walked on the planet. Next week, we're going to look at some things that Jesus said would take place in this generation that would have been absolutely impossible to take place in any other generation, but they became possible once Israel moved back into the land and became a nation again. Keep in mind, it's the only nation on the planet in the history of the world that existed as a nation, didn't exist as a nation, 2,000 years later becomes a nation just as God said. And we'll look at that next week. Well, with that, we're going to go ahead and we're going to wrap up. I know we read a lot today, so um, um, sorry. (laughs) I'll never do that to you again, but I didn't want you to miss, and we even skipped some of it, because you just got to know this, because if you don't know this, you're going to believe uh, what the world is saying, and you're going to be greatly confused. So read this, uh, go back through, and see what the Lord is saying. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for prophecy where you say, I'm going to lay it out. And uh, because I'm God and there is no other, I'm going to lay it out and uh, it's going to happen 100% the way that I said. Lord, it's sad that, that uh, even many who would profess to be church leaders miss the significance of what it is that you've done in this generation. And you laid it out, it's not hidden, it's right there and it pops off the page. But Lord, let us not be those who miss what it is that you are doing in this generation as we look at the things taking place and we read your word and we see it's all happening just like you said. Father, I pray that you keep each and every one of us until we meet again. It's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you next time.